podcast where we get to know the best CEOs, investors, and entrepreneurs in the mining industry. I'm your host, Jamie Keach. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Resource Insider Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Jamie Keach, and we are coming to you from the Inventa Capital Studios. Now, today is an interesting podcast. It's a little bit of a departure from the usual. We are talking to the gentleman from Torque Capital, a private investment management company out of Switzerland. And the two guys that are running this are named Simon Tobler and Matthias Maurer. And what makes them really interesting, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation today is much of their background, much of their success to date is in the cryptocurrency space, blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, that sort of thing. And they've got a tremendous amount of experience uh, trading and managing assets in that sector. And yet they've decided to shift their focus away from crypto into mining commodities and metals because they feel today is the time to start allocating assets to this sector. And I wanted to talk to them today about what was the reasoning behind that, what they see going on in the crypto sector that one, represented the opportunity initially, and two, the reasons that they think it's time to get out and to move on to something else. And finally, we discuss, you know, what is it that is attracting them to mining and metals? And what do they think is going to be happening over the coming months and years? So if you're a generalist investor, if you've had exposure to cryptocurrencies, if you're just getting into mining, this is a conversation I think you should listen to because it gives some really good insights as to what these professional investors are looking at and thinking about the problems or perhaps the overheatedness they're seeing in the cryptocurrency sectors right now and why they believe it's a good time to get exposures to metals and mining and commodities in general. So without further ado, let me please introduce Torque Capital. Welcome to the podcast today. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks for having us. All right, guys. So there's a lot I want to talk about over the next hour. Um, but for people that have never heard of Torque Capital before, can you guys tell us what Torque Capital Management is and, and what you guys do? Yes, sure. Um, we are in the process of setting up an asset management company and the fund which we will launch within a month. So we will start our fund 1st of April. And the idea is to invest very selectively in precious, mostly precious mining metal stocks, junior mining stocks with smaller market caps between 20 to 500 million. Okay. And part of what I want to talk about today, um, you know, we will get into um, you know, how you're choosing assets, what you're looking for in the mining and commodity space, what you drew you here. But one of the reasons I reached out to you guys is because both of you have a rather in-depth background and experience within the blockchain crypto space. And you've invested in there and you've worked in that space and you've made money in that space. And now you've transitioned or are in the process of transitioning to sort of, I guess, the hard asset mining and commodity space. And I think that's uh, very interesting given what's going on in the world. And I'd love to get um, into what's driving that decision. But could you guys each give us sort of the background of, of 
of who you are and what you do and, and kind of what led you here today. And uh, Matthias, you know, maybe we'll start with you on that, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, my background is basically, I did, uh, let's say, high school and college in science, then studied economic history <coughs> at university. And this is basically the way I discovered the commodity space. I did write uh, two papers, one of historical stock market crashes in 1929 by the end of the 90s and was then also looking at kind of what did drive inflation in the past and wrote a paper about silver inflation caused by the Spaniards that brought over the silver from the new world to the old world around 1500 and basically all this led to led me to the point where I did look at the market by the end of the 1990s and basically see you know we are repeating 1929 here and on the other hand, we have a totally underdeveloped kind of uh, broken down market in commodities. So I started heavily to invest in commodities early 2000, end of 1999. And this is basically what I did then for the next 10 years. And Matthias, were you and in now, the, uh, as a professional investor at that time, or were you just doing this with your own money? That was with my own money, yes, okay. at that time. On a professional level, I did build up a family office for for a Geneva family, basically their their office in Zurich. There I spent about 10 years building up that office. Okay. And then later on, I, yeah. Sorry, carry on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, sure. But basically then I, I went out of, of commodities roughly around 2011, 2012. Um, did build up some smaller asset managers, uh, did build up a, an activist fund for a larger Swiss private investor. And yeah, basically ended up in the, the crypto space about four years ago, where I joined the crypto finance group as the first employee. Um, I was in charge of building up the asset management. Did also support the other group companies at the very beginning, how to structure their IT infrastructure, more general, mm -hmm. let's say operations. And came back basically about one, one and a half years ago. I, I, I came to the point where I did see, it, it reminded me a lot how it was like 20 years ago. And there I started the sort process, you know, what, what do I want to do, like say the next five or 10 years. And basically all this, yeah, triggered to me the, the point that I said, well, I want to do again something completely on my own, not in a larger group that was the first reason, then the second reason was it was really like I did see this commodity. This looks like a strong cycle again. All right. And and Simon, can you give us a similar rundown of, of where you come from? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have a background in finance. So I studied quantitative finance at the University of Zurich, then joined uh, Credit Suisse and have been with Credit Suisse for more than 13 years, most of the time as an FX derivatives trader. I uh, was running the merchant market books uh, for Credit Suisse out of Switzerland. And I got hooked up with uh, cryptos or Bitcoin mainly back then in 2015, when I was looking for some, let's say, sound money alternatives in case the system, the money system we had is going to break down, right? The whole... Uh, 
debt levels, all those interventions, central bank money printing, etc. Um, just led me to the conclusion that the whole system is not stable anymore and, and we're running out of time and, and something big will happen. And I was looking for alternative uh, investment space. In what could I invest for such uh, cases? And I uh, discovered Bitcoin and uh, was very, very involved in, in the whole space as an investor. Uh, first with Bitcoin and then uh, also in, in, in 2016, 2017 uh, time also with, with a lot of ICOs, new coins, new concepts, new new projects coming up, um, all in parallel to my day work at Credit Suisse. Um, also tried to, to get crypto up and running within the bank, uh, but uh, as you know, that never happened back in the days. Um, it looks different right now. But um, back in the days, crypto in, in a large bank was just a no-go, right? And then uh, I got approached in, in summer 2017 by um, the founder of Crypto Finance Group if I would be willing to leave the bank and, and start building up a trading desk, a crypto trading desk within the Crypto Finance Group. And that's what I did. I mean, I decided pretty fast to leave the banking world and, and joining this crypto world full-time. And, and joining a startup and building up uh, a new company. And that's where also where I met Matthias. And uh, yeah, we did uh, have been part of the management of that company for the last three and a half years. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, guys. And, you know, part of me wants to talk about, you know, the move you've made into commodities, but I, I think it'd be nice to start, and you've touched on, on some of this already, Simon, of what drew you both into uh into the crypto space because you came from you know it sounds like rather traditional finance backgrounds and at the time you were coming into this uh between 2012 and 2015 crypto was rather fringe uh especially compared to, to where it is today you know what was it that really drew you guys to putting your attention and your time and your career into this um sector that was very unknown at the time and like it was it purely driven by this fear uh, like, I guess a monetary fear that there's going to be a collapse in the system and you'll need an alternative asset. Was it interest in, I guess, the blockchain technology in general beyond uh, just as a currency and what can be done with that? Was there a reason you sort of were, you dropped what you were doing and, and really dove headfirst into this? Yeah, maybe for me, it was kind of like a mix between my general interest in technology I have been following Bitcoin before, but never invested it before I went to the company and started there. And basically just my background of building companies, you know, I've built some other companies before I was key to build them up. And that's what I found interesting. And it was also the third point. It was kind of like our aim was to be to become the first um, crypto entity in Switzerland that is fully regulated by the regulator, which we achieved then about one year later after the start of the company. So that were basically the three things that that brought me to this company. And, and when you say regulated by a regulator, was it what was it regulated to do? Was it an exchange where people could buy and sell various coins? What, what were you licensed for? No, this this license was for asset management. It was basically the first license that um, Fedenmark granted to a company. Fedenmark is the Swiss regulator. Mm -hmm. to, a to a company that is purely was focused on crypto. And, 
you know, I've, I've wondered about this for a while and, and not coming from the crypto space. When, when you're a crypto asset manager, what, is, what are people focused on? Is it, are you focused on owning various coins um, that you think are going to increase in value? Are you focused on owning companies that are, are developing new products within the space? How do you build out a portfolio in this? Well, actually, I mean, there are companies for all, for all cases, like for both cases, right? Some want to be more liquid and, and basically are looking for the appreciation of all these coins. And then the other guys don't believe in the appreciation of the coins or are concerned about, you know, money laundering, which is sometimes related or associated with the coins. Mm -hmm. And they go basically into technology, right? So we have, you have kind of both ends of the space. Liquid strategies or pure, let's say, venture capital, private equity approaches. Okay. And, you know, are you guys still exposed to the crypto space today? Is this still a part of your, your personal portfolios uh, in a major way, even though you're not, you know, working in it full time? Yeah, sure. I mean, we both still uh, own quite a substantial crypto portfolio and we are still both shareholder of the company we left. And like, where do you think the crypto space is going now? I mean, is it, you know, it's it's picked up, obviously, mass popularity over the last year, particularly, it seems to me, over the last few months, I can't look on Twitter or, or walk down the street without hearing people talking about a new coin or a new company. You know, like, as, a, as an example, my wife's friend who works in theater, um, who I don't think has ever invested in anything now, is talking to her about some coin she needs to own because it's going to like it's going to pay off this debt or this and I you know when I start hearing that I'm like oh that's you know a bit of a red flag like a light bulb's going off for me that you know maybe things are heating up a little bit too much like what is going on do you guys know or do you have a theory yeah i mean it reminds me a lot of of let's say mid 2017 when you look back in the history of Bitcoin, then you see a clear four-year cycle, which is, 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 is uh, sounded on, on, on the four-year halving cycle of Bitcoins, right? Every four years, uh, the issuance of new coins uh, drops by, by half. And, and this halving is driving the whole cycle mostly. And uh, as in every asset class, as soon as you get some nice price appreciation, uh, people are jumping on it. Um, that was same case uh, four years back, four and, four and a half years back. And the last run back then, it was mainly ICOs, mm -hmm. new coins, new concepts, mm -hmm. new companies pouring out new coins, right? And, and, and today, it's, it's rather uh, the decentralized finance space and also uh, large corporates that are coming into the crypto space uh, and, and buying Bitcoin mainly for, for their balance sheet. So a, yeah. a lot of things just repeat, and, and I fully agree with you. The more, let's say, normal people come into the space, the closer we are to, a, let's say, a local top. And with yeah. the volatility we, we, we see in crypto, um, yes, the top is not so far away, but in, in, times, in, in terms of time, but it could be still far away in, in terms of price. So, okay. You touched on about five things I want to ask you about there. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with the first one. Uh, in terms of, of Bitcoin splitting, I have a very basic idea of how this works. Can you explain this um, to people who have not heard about this before? What happens every four years? 
Okay, so Bitcoin, the, the Bitcoin blockchain is designed in a way that the miners who secure and process the blockchains, the blockchain get, get rewarded with fresh Bitcoins, right? Yeah. And those fresh Bitcoin at the very beginning have been 50 Bitcoins per block. And every four years, this number uh, gets get halved. So after four years, it came down to 25, then 12 and a half. And now in the, in the current cycle, which started uh, uh, in, in May last year, um, we are down at six, six and a quarter Bitcoins per block. So, right? so wouldn't that mean that it should become more expensive at this point because it costs more to produce each individual coin? Yeah, the, th the thing is, your reward in, in number of Bitcoin drops, but as as, as, as the mining itself uh, is still getting more and more expensive as more people are joining the game, um, the value of Bitcoin needs to to rise just to to make mining uh, profitable at all, right? And so, is this um, rise up to fifty six thousand dollars a coin or whatever it is today? Is it? driven you think largely based on this coming i guess increased scarcity of of the product yes yes i mean it, it's one of the very non-inflationary assets in this world right i mean it's not deflationary formally but maybe maybe in reality it even is because a lot of coins uh, get lost right get yeah. stolen uh, uh, people losing their passwords, their seed phrase, etc. So I'm not even sure if it's still just low inflationary or, or even deflationary in the meantime. So once once this this gets hit, this sort of this uh, reduction in the in the production, you know what happens after that? Do you think you talk about these four year cycles? Do people say? All right. Well, you know, it's it's six now. Like, let's take a break and come back to this in three years because we'll see. Like, the the kind of uh, I guess the like drive kind of slows down at that point, and we see a drop. Or, you know, what what do you guys anticipate occurring, or what have we seen occur in the past for people not familiar with it, including myself? Yeah, the thing is, Bitcoin is is in a in a very fast adoption curve, right? Like internet or or every new technology in the past more and more people get interested in the technology, in, in, in the coins, in the whole concept. So you have an increasing demand and then you have a supply which just drops by half uh, just overnight, mm -hmm. a specific date, right? So, I mean, that's something you don't see in any other industry. If gold price uh, doubles up, you, you get a lot of, of miners getting more gold out of the ground or other resources just in general, but in Bitcoin, it's not possible. F fully independent of the price, the issuance of new coins is, is fixed in the algorithm. Yeah. So you don't have the usual concept with higher prices, you get more supply. Quite the opposite, your supply drops every four, four years. So you have an increasing demand, a dropping supply, and that's, that's the, the main driver for this exponential price increase. So is there any reason for the price to drop then going forward or should it just keep going up, you know, indefinitely based on that? It's, it's like with every asset, as soon as you get an exponential uh, rise in price, um, you don't need much to change to get the price dropping again, right? We have seen that four years ago, we have seen it uh, uh, in 2013 already, uh, you have this exponential rise and then 
out of a sudden and they're not even need to be a, a certain a catalyst um they're just not enough buyers anymore yeah. to keep the, the, the price rising and then people start taking profit and then you get a, a sudden uh, a drop in price okay and then like like in every industry or every asset you need some kind of time for for distributing the asset again and building up fresh power building up new technology new new players etc but then you start the cycle again so and you know I'll, i'll phrase this question carefully because this is not investment advice but if if you were at home if you did not own any cryptocurrencies if you did not own any bitcoin is this a time to be thinking about entering into this space or is it a time to be you know kind of slowing down and waiting and seeing what happens it it depends on your risk tolerance right i mean if you have some spare money you're pretty uh, a risk seeker um yeah why not i mean you could build up small portfolios some big coins some ether some some other um coins with a solid concept and hopefully if you're lucky you enjoy another half a year or one year of a bull run which could easily double or triple prices right mm-hmm. um if you are willing to stomach the volatility yes otherwise if you need the money within the next couple of months uh, it's a tricky market so what do you think it is right now that is driving um i guess you know established players in the finance space in the corporate world into into bitcoin into blockchain you know i think the most famously we've seen tesla by you know a big chunk of, of bitcoin i you know i read something the other day i don't know this is true because i'm basing it off of a tweet but it was something like tesla's made more money off of bitcoin in like a three week period than they've made in the entire history of their country uh, or the company rather producing cars which is hilarious So, well, you know, why are uh, established players do you think starting to wake up and saying shit, you know, I got to own some of this. You know, we're seeing funds, we're seeing banks, we're seeing companies. Why now? And what's going on? <clears throat> I I would say it's mainly a fear of missing out, a typical FOMO move which started with with let's say a handful of larger hedge fund managers who started privately buying bit Bitcoin getting into the space, and and as soon as as, as a couple of famous names uh, are publicly doing it, then it's free and open for everyone else to do it as well. And and if those guys are successful, a lot of hedge fund managers, money managers needed to ask themselves, okay, why I'm not doing it myself, or yeah. why is my fund not earning money with Bitcoin and having a hard time with all the rest of us? So it just breaks the That's stigma awesome. here, basically. It's breaking the stigma, and people are getting FOMO and piling into this. Even the even the professional money managers that are paid to make uh, rational decisions and not 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 follow the crowd, so to speak. Yeah, look back back in 2016, I talked to a lot of of pension funds and and other uh, asset managers trying to convince them to invest in bitcoin and and the regular runs was just hey, i can't afford it if if it goes wrong if if i if i lose my money and even if it's just a small part of the fund um i get blamed for it right because i did right. something no one else was doing and if if it if it really if it's really a 100x as you're telling me then i'm not getting rewarded for it so so the whole incentive scheme was just asymmetrical for not doing it And this has changed now. 
a lot of people now facing the questions of their superiors or, or family office, the owners, right? Why have we not invested yet in this new asset class, in this, right. in, in this exponential uh, stuff? So we need to do something. And now it's just quite the opposite than it was four or five years ago. Okay, I've got a couple quick questions on this, or maybe not so quick questions. They might not have quick answers. DeFi, decentralized finance. What is it and why should I care about it? Just think of it as bringing all financial products, as we know it from traditional banking and finance system, onto blockchain and into a decentralized environment where not a bank is telling you which product you could trade or not allowed to trade, but rather the blockchain and smart contracts are just enabling you to do it, whatever you want to do. Okay. And so you're basically cutting out the middleman and you're, you're building it into the products to have that, I guess, safety mechanism or oversight that's able to track what's going on. Is that right? Yes. And so if we look into the future, 10 or 15 years or, or maybe less, I don't know. Like, what do you, what kind of jobs, what kind of roles in the finance space do you think this starts to eliminate? Does it, I mean, does it cut out the brokers or the bankers? Does it cut out um, the need for certain regulatory oversight? What, what, what problems that we don't know we have is this potentially solving? Or at least that I don't know we have. Maybe you guys already know we have it. I mean, it's difficult to say, right? I mean, no, no one knows. But at the end, as long as you're... Uh, dynamic and creative i guess you're gonna have a job in this new financial uh, environment but if you do a job which is quite repetitive uh, doing same same things over and over and doing something which a program could do then it's getting tough right yeah i mean for example back office there are so many people working in back offices of, of all the banks in, in all the world in all the world i mean a lot of these things could be just done by the smart contracts, just by setting up the whole product and processes directly onto the blockchain. You just get rid of all the back office uh, people just doing all those reconciliations, etc. You know, when I when I read about this, um, I, I keep thinking about, you know, there's decentralized finance, but I, I wonder, is there going to be a point where it's more a, a decentralization of capital, right? And I think about so much of the investment industry, we're going to get into this in a minute, uh, especially the mining space where we're focused at Resource Insider. Um, so much of the profits in, in the venture space in particular are, are held and consumed by sort of the insiders in that space, right? The people that have access to the best deals early on at the best prices and that are not often available to the average person, you know, are not available at all to non-accredited investors at this point. Is there a, and this is a very theoretical question, so you can tell me to shut up if, I, if I'm going off on a tangent here, but, you know, is, is this moving to a point where we're starting to be able to create products that allow normal people to access opportunities that were at one point really constrained by, uh, you know, key influencers or key decision makers or people in positions of power. And I, and I think, you know, when I read about, and I'm, I'm rambling on here, but when I see what's going on with the Wall Street bets sort of world right now and this 
sort of democratization of capitalism, and I see the products that are trying to be created here. You know, is there a world where these things start to get married and, and you're starting to see these access to opportunities spread um, to the more general public? In theory, yes. Um, but as always, in, in practice, it's a little bit more, more difficult, right? Um, what we already see in the blockchain space is that a lot of the, let's say, good deals are again taken up by mm. the ones that are already in the inner circle. Yeah. I mean, in theory, an ICO could be open to anyone and anyone could participate. But in fact, you see most of the companies, at least in the last two, three years, are doing first some private rounds, bringing in the well known investors, and then just at the end doing ICO like in traditional markets with an IPO. Right. Right. And then you are back again. The already rich get the opportunity and, and the regular people just lose out. And then on the other hand, you also have the regulators trying to get their hands on this market and trying to protect the people, uh, which in my view is not a protection, but um, trying to protect the people to invest in things they could maybe not understand. And then you end up with a system we already had in, in the traditional finance. Yeah. Where a lot of people just are not allowed to invest in certain products. Well, you mentioned this early on in our conversation about in 2017, there was this massive um, rush of ICOs, uh, you know, initial coin offerings where coins were being created for every company, every product, every, you know, kind of harebrained idea out there. And looking at this in hindsight, you know, most of these don't seem to exist today. And if they do exist, they have, you know, nominal to zero value. Um, you know, we're not seeing that this time to the same degree in, in, in my experience from what I'm seeing. What are we seeing happen now? Uh, like, is the space just becoming more mature and people have learned like, okay, we don't want to invest in these, you know, bullshit coins underpinned by nothing? Or, or is there another focus that's drawing in the capital and bringing people's attention to it? Yeah, I mean, people learned their lesson uh, with ICOs, of course. Um, if the mar market is really more mature overall, I'm not so sure. I mean, it's just different topics right now. NFTs are, are running the show, non-fungible tokens. That's my next question. What is an <laughs> NFT? And I, I want to prelude that because I was writing down questions today, okay? To, to like, what am I going to talk to these guys about? And I keep seeing uh, NFTs pop up and then... Literally 15 minutes before I got here, I got some email from Stockhouse, and I'm gonna the the names of these companies can remain anonymous, but it's like two companies they're getting together to start an NFT focused studio to create NFTs, and when I start getting shit like that, I'm I just start thinking like, man, we are in a bubble. Like something weird is going on here. I've only even heard of NFTs like six weeks ago. Now I'm getting like new companies pitched at me. What the fuck is an NFT? <laughs> um, <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay, look, on, on the Bitcoin blockchain, every Bitcoin is the same. It's like with cash, right? You have a dollar, a dollar bill, and, and it doesn't matter which dollar bill you hold, it's a dollar is a dollar, and a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin, right? Sure, yeah. And NFT, NFT as, as the name says, non-fungible, it matters which token you, you are holding. Right. And, and now people, I mean, it's really NFTs are the new kids on the block. 
And when, when I left the company a couple of months back, it, it was not a topic at all. It just really emerged out of nothing over the last three to four months. Um, so I'm not really deep into it, but at the end, it's just, it's, it's like art in the real world. You have something, yeah. right? And now you bring it on, onto the blockchain represented by a specific token. Uh. And then you can prove on the blockchain that this certain thing, which could be a painting, an art or whatsoever, belongs to you. So it's now like the original. Can... It's, like, it's like everyone can have a picture of Monet's like Starry Night up on their wall, like a print. But there's one original, and so the NFT is the original version, right? It's like that special baseball yeah. card or something like that. That is, yes. Okay. That's I mean, yes. It doesn't matter which Bitcoin you you're holding, but but it matters which NFT you're holding, right? So what do you guys think? Uh, I mean, that's that's. I just think like, okay, I've been horrible at calling technology trends. You know, when Twitter came out, I was like, this is bullshit. No one's ever going to do this, and Clearly, I'm wrong on pretty much everything in this. But when I see these things, I'm just like, this, like is that going to be a thing? Do people actually want the original? Like, I'm hearing like there's NFTs that are going for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of like a basketball shot, right? It's like some guy is slam dunking some, some basket and they've got the original cut of it. I, I mean, am I, am I just not getting it? Uh, am I, you know, am I a Luddite and behind the times here or... Do you think that this is going to be a sort of digitalized, unique art product or, or something similar that's going to catch on? I mean, if I don't like it, it means it probably is going to work. That's kind of been my experience with digital products so far. So I'm skeptical of my own opinion here. But what do you think? I mean, my honest opinion, I think like, like in the ICO area four years back, 98% of it if it is just getting away within a couple of months or years mm -hmm. right? and ending up worthless. But there are some use cases. There are some things that could make sense. And, and it's like with the internet and the dot-com bubble we had 20, 21 years ago. A lot of things disappeared, but what survived the first wave became the big companies of, mm -hmm. of the new area. And it's the same with, with, with the blockchain and all those new concepts and ideas. So, I mean, from investors thinking at home who have no exposure to this, I mean, probably the prudent thing to do would be, all right, let's wait and see who survives this initial wave uh, and consolidates the assets in the space and, and whatever. And maybe that's where the real opportunity is going to be in six months or six years from now, depending on, how, you know, the timeline over which that takes. Does that sound like a fair, fair idea at this point in time? Yes, I would say so, yes. All right, good. We have gone through the totality of my knowledge on the blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto space right now. And I'd like to move the conversation into what you guys are doing today, a focus on mining, on commodities, on hard, real things, a very, uh, you know, in many ways, a big departure from the crypto space, but there's also some similarities. Can, can one of you explain why now is the time you've decided to refocus? Okay. Well, I would say now is the time because what you see is you see the first signs that the cycle is turning. And, and usually I always say you should be to a certain extent a contrarian, you know. What we discussed before, I mean, this market has clearly signs of overheating. 
Um, the non-fungible tokens are selling at record highs. Um, you mentioned the situation that it reminds you of situations a couple of years ago. I had a similar situation this week, actually, when the biggest um, Swiss uh, tabloid, let's say, mentioned that, you know, now your grandmother can buy Bitcoin. You know, they started one of the largest retailers in Switzerland started to, to sell a, a card where you can basically buy, you know, $500 worth of Bitcoin on it, you know. Mm -hmm. And at the same tabloid called the top last cycle, let's say two, two weeks, you know, precision. Now, so, so did they time, call the top yeah. or was them reporting on what's going on in the space? That was a representation of like, okay, yes. now it's time to start to get yes. worried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's, the fam it's the famous thing that you also mentioned with, you know, this big picture on, on Business Week about that called the bottom, the, you know, the dead of equity, similar stories, right? Mm -hmm. It was really this kind of call, you know? They, they did a series four years ago about how to, to survive with Bitcoin in Zurich, you know, because it was very fancy at the time. And they reported it report for a week about where can I spend Bitcoin, which was not much at the time. And basically two weeks later, the market crashed, you know, mm -hmm. for good, for that cycle, you know. So you're seeing the writing on the walls in terms of right time to get out of, of the crypto space now. Refocus. Why mining? Why commodities? Why is? Why did you choose this? Because to me, at the moment, it's a clear value play in comparison also to technology, and this reminds me, as I said in the beginning, very much of end of the nineties. You basically there was a huge premium paid for technology stocks and not for value. Mm -hmm. And you see now the first signs of the rotation for going away from growth momentum to value. Because just people get to the point or investors where they're getting feeling more and more uncomfortable about buying technology stocks at very high valuation. So, okay. And what is your, I guess, the, you know, my question is, where are you guys going to be focused um, at Torque, are you are you? You mentioned, I think, earlier that you were looking at sort of early stage projects. Is there a is there a place in the mining life cycle that you guys really find is your niche that you think you can get the most value? How are you looking at the sector? How are you looking to deploy capital? Well, I would say there are basically two parts on the cycle we are looking at. First is the early exploration stage, and the second one is the near term production stage. Mm -hmm. Those are the two we, we are going to focus on and deploy the capital. And so these are often, you know, the area of sort of the famous sort of Lasan curve, right? Where you often yes, see the most, exactly. the most, I guess, the highest potential for exponential returns at these sectors, right? When yes. we make a big discovery, obviously, you know, that's the time where you see share prices double or triple or, or go up by 100 times, depending on the, the scale. And then once you go from a non-cash producing asset to a cash flowing asset, right? Yes, correct. That's basically the two sweet spots on that curve. Yes. And is there a commodity or that you guys are particularly focused on? Is it gold? Is it, you know, the base metals or battery metals? Where where do you think we're going to be seeing the most potential over the coming years? Well, we start the fund with a focus on gold and silver. Mm -hmm. Because we think short term probably the monetary driven um 
backwind or tailwind will be basically the big driver. But if you look out uh, on a couple of years, I mean, we see a clear opportunity, obviously, also in copper. Um, silver has obvious hybrid function in the sense of like, it can either go to, you know, the whole solar power or also do the monetary part of the equation. And, and personally, I think probably what will be a big call over the next, let's say, three years will be the, the uranium sector. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, we've been uh, you know, heavily invested in the uranium sector for about just over three, just over two and a half years now. And we were, so you're still we were waiting early, for the we big were early moment. to it, for sure. <laughs> the famous big uh, earlier. You know, the first almost two years we were down about 25% on our investment. Now we're up, uh, getting close to 100% now. But, you know, I think... You know, when we approached this sector, when we approached uranium, our goal was to come in at and see somewhere between four and five time returns. And, I, you know, I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. And, you know, I'm excited what, what does can happen, I would say, still over probably another two to three years at this point. Um, you know, what I wanted to ask is we've seen this pullback in gold over the last couple of months, right? We hit our highs last summer at plus $2,000 gold. It's recently come off to the high 1600s. I think, you know, as of recording this, we've we've bounced back a little bit to 1720-ish. What, you know, what's your view on this? Is this just, you know, I, I see commentators coming from all sides that, you know, this is just normal market volatility. This is a pullback. You know, it's, this is the best time to enter the gold space before the big run. And then there's the other aspect, which is, you know, maybe gold's had its day, uh, you know, uh, like we've hit our peak and it's, it's going to fall back down to fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars Do you guys have a, I mean, I assume you have a view that there's obviously a lot more value to be had in precious metals, but you know, why is that? Why do you think, you know, we're just getting started here versus, you know, the run is over. Maybe Simon, you want to answer? Um, yeah, there are a couple of things. I mean, if I look at it from a from a technical uh, point of view, chart analysis, etc., then everything we have seen the last couple of months is just a regular technical correction, right? Consolidation, uh, and and the move could and should continue. And then we have the the whole macro landscape, where now really anything is really pointing towards, let's say. A more inflationary period than the last 10 years i mean i i know even after 2008 we have talking about all those uh, monetary uh, intervention are going to lead to inflation uh, pretty mm -hmm. soon and, and it didn't appear over the last 13 years so why should why should it now but i mean all the central banks and the governments are now really keen on getting inflation up right i mean and if the consensus is so clear and there are willing to print as much money as is needed to bring inflation uh, in, into this world, they, they will reach their goal. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, why should, why should, let's phrase the question different. Why should precious metal be the asset class, which is not profiting from a much higher monetary base? I mean, we, we see those prices running in, in, in equities, in, in, in bonds, in real estate, in cryptos, and everywhere why should precious metal be left behind yeah and, and it does seem to be one of the few areas that's lagging right now you know i 
I live in Vancouver. I, you know, it's it was recently ranked, I think, the second least livable city in the world in terms of cost of living. For like, I think the average family here makes fifty six thousand dollars a year, and the average house, standalone house, is north of a million dollars at this point. And we've seen, uh, I'm going to butcher these numbers, but we've seen since the pandemic, you know, notable rises in, in housing prices here, like ten percent or something like that, just on this year alone. And, you know, I don't see it playing out in precious metals in the way that I would anticipate at this point. And the one we talk about at Resource Insider a lot, and, you know, this is seems to be a contentious subject, depending on which side of the debate you're on, though, is, is silver in that, yes, we've seen silver about double uh, over the last few years, but we're nowhere near all-time highs in it, right? We've seen gold uh, push past all-time highs. We've seen copper, you know, copper's above, hit, hit 420 the other day. I think 460 is the all-time high there. We're approaching that. But silver is still, you know, half of what it, uh, what it hit at its peak, around $50. So I think, you know, we're in for a big run here, at the very least in the silver space. I also would suspect in the gold space at some point uh, in the not-so-distant future. But I do wonder, you know, what, what are the catalysts that need to occur for this to happen? You know, when I see, you know, the U.S. government just say they're going to spend $1.6 trillion in, in infrastructures, in spending, in relief, and gold goes down on that. And I just think, you know, what is it going to take for, for precious metals to really have their day in the sun and for people to start waking up and thinking like, you know, shit, this is something I, I need to own. Is it, is it that this capital is being sucked up by the crypto space that would typically flow in there? What are your views on this? And I know there's no right or wrong answer to these questions it's very speculative but how do you guys approach these problems yes i i think at least partially it's crypto stealing the show from from precious metals yes i mean all those let's say famous hedge fund guys prominent names um 10 years back they would have gone into precious metals mm-hmm. this period, in, in in such a period right now they're joining crypto so this is, of course, uh, at least part of the story. I expect that to reverse after the next uh, local top in Bitcoin. And if you expect that in the next, let's say, six months, then uh, the future should be much brighter for precious metals uh, in, in, the, in the two to three years after that. Um, silver, maybe, is, is, is just catched between, between different stories, right? I mean, if people are joining crypto instead of precious metals, the one that are still joining precious metals or going into precious metals, maybe just buying gold and not silver anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if I just allocate half to precious metal that I would have allocated uh, five years back, then this half is going into gold and not silver. And maybe the same is true on the in- industrial side. I mean, if you believe in 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 in, com- in a commodity boom led by 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 base metals and 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 all these. Uh, electrification of anything, then maybe you're going, you're going in, into copper and different base metals and not into silver because it's more precious metal. Yeah. Right? And so that might be the reason. But I mean, uh, I mean, in your camp, I'm expecting a huge run up in, in silver as well. It's just a matter of, of patience. Guys, a lot of the people who, who are watching this podcast are, are retail investors at home. Some of them have a lot of experience investing in general and in mining in particular. Some of them are very new to this space. And, you know, what advice would you have for someone that is looking to start building out a portfolio focused on commodities? Is there a good way to start doing that without taking on 
a tremendous amount of risk. I mean, you know, we've talked earlier about, you know, investing in the early stage opportunities, the expiration stage opportunities. You know, that's a that's a great way to make money. It's also an even better way to lose money if you're not doing it carefully. For people without the maybe the technical or the financial expertise, do you have a feel for where they should get started or think about getting started? I mean, again, depending on your on your, on your risk appetite, um, the junior mining space is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, right? I mean, if you want to have some exposure towards gold and silver and not buying the metal directly, um, you are better served with, let's say, the larger producer, maybe some mid-tier producers, um, just just to be on 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 the safe side, right? And if you want to enter the junior space for the potential, um, I, I guess some of, of, let's say, the larger funds or large ETFs are a good way to start yeah. if you don't have any time for, for due diligence. And if you really think you're up to something and you have the spare time to do your due diligence on the different companies, et cetera, et cetera, then yes, you can do that. But uh, it, needs, it needs a lot of time to dig out the winners and getting rid of the losers, right? Yeah, no, and I would agree with that entirely. And, you know, that's what we focus on all day at Resource Insider is finding ways to help our our subscribers get exposure to these things. But, you know, it's a full-time job for me, and we work with a lot of very talented people in this space. And even, you know, we don't get it right 100% of the time, that's for sure either. So for anyone entering that space, you know, do approach with caution. There's, There's lots of opportunity there, but there's lots more to get it wrong. And do know what you don't know. If you're not a geologist or not an engineer or not experienced sort of working, evaluating these projects from a technical perspective, please rely on someone that does have have that background. Because um, I would say, you know, asking a junior mining CEO what their project looks like is very similar to asking a, a barber if you need a haircut. The answer is yes, you do. And the project's always great. So keep that in mind when when doing your own due diligence. Gents. Thank you very much. We were coming up on an hour here. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Is there anything uh, worth talking about that I'm missing here? No. There's a lot. There's, for those of you just listening to the audio, there's a lot of head shaking going on. So, all right, guys. <laughs> really appreciate your time. Simon, Matthias, thanks for taking a bit of time out of your day, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Me too. If you want more like it, head over to resource-insider.com, my website where you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter, where you're going to get instant access to all of our new podcasts and videos. We're going to keep you up to date on what's going on in the mining industry. And most importantly, we're going to show you where we're investing our own money and what I think are the hottest deals and opportunities in the sector. Thanks for listening.